0: Hey, church leaders, before we get into this week's episode, you know this, for decades, Barna has been tracking the state of the church in America. Now, in partnership with Glue, Barna is putting that knowledge and expertise into the hands of church leaders like you. The state of your church webcast is coming up. It's going to give you brand new data-informed decisions on how people are growing in their faith and will equip you with powerful tools to help you measure what matters most in your church ministries. You're invited to to attend this free 90-minute webcast. It airs on Tuesday, March 1st at 1 p.m. Eastern. And you can register today by going to barna.com slash stateofyourchurch. I'm going to be there along with Nona Jones and Barna President David Kinneman. We'll be joined by some incredible contributors, Andy Stanley, Bishop Claude Alexander, Ed Stetzer, Tara Beth Leach, Glenn Packham, Scott Sauls, Jenny Wong-Clayville, Randy Frazee, and much more. Sign up today for free, you and your whole team, Go to Barna.com/slash state of your church and now today's episode.
1: Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster Carrie Newhoff and Barna President David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses
0: new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff here solo episode. My uh, good friend David Kinneman is out this week, probably doing some more research. I don't know helping leaders. And I'm really thrilled. In a few minutes, I'm going to introduce you to Juliet Funt. But leaders, we're so glad that you're joining us. And whether you're watching, uh, whether you're listening, I know the vast majority of you are listening. Hey, we're here in your corner uh, trying to bring you the latest insights and also uh, some things that are really, really going to help. And as you know, we have been tracking exhaustion in leaders, exhaustion in pastors. We've been tracking turnover and burnout and all of that. And rather than bringing you, you know, just more of the boy, aren't we all tired? Going to try to have a shot at some solutions here. So that's why I'm excited to have Juliette Funt. Want to thank our partner Belay. One of the problems with exhaustion is a lot of us as leaders tend to take on way too much. And Belay would love to help. Uh, they've got a free resource called 25 Tasks. A pastor can delegate to an assistant. And maybe you have an assistant, but I bet you you're not using that assistant effectively. Text the word PULSE to 55123. For your download today, that's P-U-L-S-E to 55123. Well, I am thrilled to have Juliet with us today. Juliet Funt's uh, work has been featured in top media outlets such as Forbes, CNBC, and Fast Company. She's a globally renowned keynote speaker, tough love advisor to Fortune 500 companies. She is the author of A Minute to Think, which was nominated for the Next Big Idea Club, curated by Malcolm Gladwell, Dan Pink, Susan Kane, and Adam Grant. She's an evangelist for freeing the potential of companies by unburdening their talent from busy work. And she has worked with companies like Spotify, National Geographic, Anthem, Vans, Abbott, Costco, Pepsi, Nike, and many others, Juliet. Good to be with you again this time on Church Pulse Weekly. Welcome.
1: You too, my friend. Always good to see you.
0: Yeah, it's great. So uh, the pace has been incessant in the last few years. So let's start there. What do you think the pace has done to us? Like this is our third year of crisis leadership, right? All of 2020, mm. all of 2021, and then boom, here we are in 2022. What does an unsustainable pace, what price do you pay for it, Juliet?
1: Hmm. I think it's important to do some emotional witnessing of the trajectory that we've all been on to step back and have someone affirm exactly how impossible it's been because when you fall into a crisis, good people dig in hard. And we all dug in hard because when you're in what feels like a sprint, one where resources and mission and vision is threatened, good people dig in hard. But then there was this pernicious... Floating extension of the state of crisis where the sprint became a marathon with the intensity of still a sprint, but the duration of a marathon. And so we've never really come off of the initial doubling down of this is a crisis. I'm in. I'm in means no boundaries, no self care, emergency status. And then we all sort of just got locked into that self defeating crisis mode. And so that has continued and continued. And we've been teased even worse than having an endless crisis is an endless crisis filled with um, teasing that it's going to be over. We're done. We're not done. We're done. We're not done. is. So the emotional trajectory, I really think is important to witness and just self-lovingly kind of wrap ourselves each in a hug and say, this has been just miserable and just unsustainable. And even the subtle. Um, prices people pay, now we're all doing these five-day rotating Omicron isolations as our families stagger and children get it five days later and the spouse gets it five days later and we can never leave the house. I bring that all up because these individual death of a thousand cut type drains mm-hmm. are not irrelevant to the, the aggregate burnout. And so that brings us to where we are, which is I don't know whatever's after burnt, barbecued. There is we were burnt out. <laughs> I mean, we were burnt out in the fall. So uh, I'm really so worried every day about where we are now. And yet, it is birthing this renaissance of choicefulness and decisiveness and autonomy through the Great Resignation. That I think is really interesting to talk about. Um, I think that I can give you the corporate parallel, and then we can yeah, flip please it do to a church version, but. All these folks are now leaving and all the leaders are mystified. And in my experience, just what I'm visioning, company after company after company making the same mistake, which is looking at people and saying, you're burnt and you're fed up. So I'm going to give you more money and perks to get you to stay. Signing bonuses, vacation stipends, gluten-free snacks in the break room, treadmill in your you know lounge area. And I think what we're missing in both circumstances, retention and dealing with burnout is that the basic experience of work needs to change. Not the vacation stipend, not the gluten-free snacks, but how does work feel for you every single day? That is what we need to change. And hopefully this burnout is finally pushing us to a point of willingness to do that.
0: Okay. Preach, Juliet. There you go. All right, that's
1: pent up about this because there's so uh-huh. much pain. There's so much pain out there.
0: There is, you know, we've been tracking at Barna with pastors. So twelve months ago, twenty nine percent, early twenty twenty one. Twelve months ago, twenty nine percent of pastors said they had, and the, the quote is, given real serious consideration to quitting, not just their church, but being in full time ministry. So not just job change. Career change, vocation change, calling change. In the fall, 38% said that they were ready to go. And then uh, 19%, only one in five pastors strongly agreed that they prioritize self care as a pastor. So, you know, one of these things kind of leads to the other when you look at that. I've had a conversation with a number of people, I don't want to name names, and, and I certainly wouldn't do that, who For a variety of reasons, I don't think it's part of the great resignation, have left working at a church and they've started working at private companies. And private Mm. companies can be brutal. Um, But the feedback that I'm hearing overwhelmingly is this is so much better than the church. And the reason is, it's not just the rate of pay. It is they have their evenings back. They have Mm -hmm. time off on the weekends. And, you know, one of the things I'm committed to as an employer these days, I was in the church, it took me a long time to get there as a pastor, much shorter now that I'm running a company, is I don't want my staff working at night. I don't want my staff working on the weekends. I want them to have a vacation. And what I'm finding is that engagement goes up. I think that's a big struggle for church leaders. Do you want to talk about that dynamic where if you're always on, um, what that does to people, Juliet?
1: And I'm surprised, I, I do, and I'm surprised that they're saying that it's better in corporate. I'm happy that they've found good companies because what I'm observing is that for everyone, pastors and corporate, it seems like work from home and the urgency of the pandemic have shuffled our work life and home life like a deck of cards. It's just mm. a blended day right now that alternates between touching work and touching personal, which is which is terribly difficult. If you shut down at night and you come back to work fully refreshed. You are 21% more effective than you are if you never actually shut off. And wow. people who are balanced, people who have connection with a home life, with hobbies, with loved ones in a non-multitasking environment, they come back with the full resources that we hired them for each and every day or each and every Monday. And that, that is something that's been really threatened. We don't know when to stop working and the free floating anxiety is also i think getting us to choose work out of anxiousness we've i mean we've finished netflix at this point so yeah. when you're done with netflix <laughs> that's
0: right. there's nothing left to watch
1: <laughs> you're sitting at 7:30 or 8 the kids are playing video games and work calls you not only because some boss is pressuring you but you just don't know what else to do and that's, that's a point. different balance challenge than used to be present
0: Well, you and I have had a few conversations and you know, pre-burnout, Carrie, which goes back 16 years now. That was 2006, I had a burnout. I had no hobbies and it's exactly that. I have hobbies now, but I would say one of the things that, so it makes it a lot easier for me. One of the things a lot of pastors struggle with, and it would be the pastoral equivalent, Juliet, of the boss who is emailing you at 11 p.m. and then texting you Mm -hmm. at six o'clock the next morning, which is a real Mm -hmm. problem in corporate. Now, the challenge here is the pastor is, quote, the boss, but you have congregational members and the community bothering you at nine o'clock at night and at seven o'clock the next morning. And it's not necessarily your cell phone. It's Facebook messages that come in. It's Instagram DMs that come in. It's text messages. It's emails. It's that always, always on. And a lot of pastors, because they really love people, Um, they want to say yes, they don't know how to say no. How do you handle a dynamic like that where you really feel like you're on call 24-7? Like what are some keys to putting in boundaries?
1: Well, let's do the boundaries, but first let's examine the psychology that leads into those boundaries. I am an agnostic Jewish lady, but I have been very deep in this world for years now with my Uh GLN friendships and meeting all these folks. So I will say that the most interesting pastoral story in my book is a pastor that we interviewed who said that, and I was not familiar with this before, but said that pastors have a poor branding problem with being perceived as being lazy, which Mm. in my estimation of these incredibly busy people was a great shock to me. But apparently when your job is only really visible on the weekends, you have trouble struggling sometimes to show all the good works that you're doing all the other times. And he said, I'm going to – dub this man I interviewed said, I'm going to double down in the early part of my career like the dread pirate Roberts from The Princess Bride, and I'm going to build a reputation for busyness. And he did this, and for the first few years of his pastoral career, he was screamingly, fragrantly showing off how busy he was, and then he wrote on that reputation for the rest of his career because people would start every inquiry and request with, I know you're so busy, but Mm. – so there is an interesting insecure psychology that at least has been reported to us by some where there's a need to, a need to please, perhaps, a need to show off availability, and that lurks underneath some of the simple logistic boundary-setting challenges that pastors have and that everybody else has. So just to touch on it, I think it's interesting. We have to decide when is it possible— to, to set a boundary. And that's not simple work. It kind of reminds me of I'm getting ready for a Chick-fil-A event. And just as an example, Chick-fil-A is one of our clients. I'm doing their big next event, which is 9,000 people. And all their operators are crushed right now with the staffing shortages and with Omicron. Mm-hmm. Just so crushed that they can't even figure out how to take an evening off, a weekend off, very similar energy to what we're talking about. And some of the smartest folks that I was introduced who said, there was just a moment where I just had to call it. I just had to say, from now on, after seven, I'm off. And here's the here's the phone number you call, not text, when it's truly an emergency. And they had to make decisions about when they could walk away and when they couldn't. And really, it's the same for any profession, for pastors, even for executives who you feel like don't have as urgent a calling as someone calling about Uh, an older relative in trouble or an alcoholic stepson or the things that pastors get called for are so much more important in life, but we all have to set boundaries. So my very favorite is a very simple technique that we can begin with called trapping yourself in a promise. And when you make a decision that you're going to clock out, let's say you say to yourself that after eight o'clock, you're just not going back. Eight o'clock is pretty late, but we'll start there with training wheels, baby steps. Yeah. You say out loud in front of whoever it is that you live with at 8 o'clock, well, done for the day. Not not a big broadcast, just a casual, yep, I'm done, no more work for me, done for the day. Or worst case scenario, you say, I'm done till after dinner, or I'm done till 10, or I'm stopping now for two hours. And you orate Your promise in front of witnesses, and watch how from that moment forward it becomes almost impossible to go back for another sip of the laptop because you've set a boundary that has accountability to it. You can, by the way, do this alone. You can have a boundary buddy and text each other that sentence when you're done, or you can even say it out loud because when your own words hear the promise it becomes more important to you. So that sense of there just has to be a day where we call it, I think is where pastors have to start.
0: Boy, that's really good advice. And you touched on so many things, and I thought that was really insightful. I remember you know, the joke I had for years in ministry is, well, you only work one hour a week, right? And at first that made me really feel insecure, Juliet. It made me feel like, oh no, I do a lot more and I wanted to prove myself. And then eventually, I don't know if this is going to help anybody there. I would just joke with people and I'm like, yeah, you're right. Only an hour a week. And you know what? I don't even have to preach 52 weeks a year. So like, it's the best job ever. I'm like improving my golf game. And then immediately they recoil and go, oh no, 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 no. I know you're really Mm -hmm. busy. I know you're producing something, but it it takes the funk out of it. But the other thing is self-regulation. And I still find it hard, even though I'm not in full-time ministry anymore. I still find it hard. It's getting easier every year, actually. Uh, Part of the reason I write books about these things, right? Like where I'm just like, sorry, I'm just not available. Like I had some incredible speaking requests for July. And these days I'm just taking July off. And it was like, that's an amazing request. And the answer is no. And it was a a five-second conversation, you know, and we'll be really nice about it.
1: Because you've mastered that boundary, and just because you've mastered, and there's this incredible visceral difference between I've mastered the boundary, you just it rolls off your tongue. Oh, July's my month off, versus I haven't yet crossed that terrifying precipice Mm -hmm. to get in the habit of that. No, the visceral difference is, is extraordinary for people, and you can hear how good at it you are, but we want to get people to start crossing the line.
0: Well, and that's even a Saturday saying, I'm sorry, I'm not available Saturday, right? And mm-hmm. saying to, to your congregation, I'm sorry, your marriage is really a tough time. If it's an absolute emergency or you're in danger, please call the police or please call somebody. I am happy. Otherwise, I'm happy to meet with you at two o'clock on Tuesday, mm-hmm. right? But but that we don't think about that a lot. And on that note, One of the premises of your book, A Minute to Think, is that we need some white space. We need some intentional space to process, to think, because a lot of our lives, we just go from one thing to another, from emptying an inbox to into Slack, into a sauna, then into a meeting, Mm -hmm. then into sermon prep, then into dinner prep. About half of pastors, 52%, so only half, report practicing solitude or intentional time alone at least once a week. But the younger you are, the less likely this is true. Only 44% of pastors under the age of 50 say they practice solitude at least once a week. Uh, Mm. 58% of those in my age demographic, over 50, say they do. So let's look at it from a brain science uh, productivity perspective. Why does good rest and solitude matter to you?
1: Let's start with the foundational metaphor that we use in all of our work, which is that of building a fire. And if you did build a fire, what you'd find out is that ingredients do matter. You want pine needles, crumpled newspaper, maybe fire starter, something dry, good soft wood. But if you miss one critical ingredient in building a fire, it will never, ever ignite. And that critical ingredient is the space, the space between the combustibles that takes a little spark Mm. and and, and oxygenates it and draws it into a fire. And we can look at each of us. The spark we have for contribution, creativity, making a difference, moving from success to significance, these beautiful aspirations, especially in the pastoral community, are like a delicate spark. And if they are not oxygenated with proper space, they can never become the beautiful blaze that they can. And so... You know, I think that writing a sermon, I've never done that, but I've written an awful lot of speeches in my life. And I know that when I'm sitting with a laptop or a pad, that there are two aspects of writing a message. There is the logistic figuring out, writing, researching, coming up with analogies. And then there is the mulling, where you stare over the tree line if you're lucky enough to have one in front of your window, and you think, hold on a second, what's really true? What's really important? What do they really need to hear? When you close your eyes and you step into the shoes of exactly the person in your audience and you say, let's move aside the stuff I wanted to write and just let me just taste their need for a minute, none of that can be done without space. That permission to just mull, ponder, become objective. And I would imagine it's just as important in every heart-centered action a pastor takes, that checking in with oneself. And again, when the schedule is packed, it's absolutely impossible.
0: We'll be back to today's conversation in just a moment. But as you know, as a busy church leader, when you stop and think about all the things you do every day, they begin to add up and they add up quickly. Your church has grown because of all of your hard work and your endless hours. But now maybe it's time to hire help. But let's face it, hiring is complicated. We're in the midst of the great resignation. And that's why the right person for your church doesn't seem to exist. That's where our friends at Belay can help. Belay is a modern staffing solution with over 11 years of experience, and they have successfully matched thousands of clients with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, social media strategists, and web specialists. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Five Ways a Church Bookkeeper Can Transform Your Day. All you need to do is text the word PULSE to 55123 for your free download. Again, text PULSE, P-U-L-S-E, to 55123. Is there, uh, I know a lot of people say that creativity happens in the margins, and what I mean by that is in the white space, in the downtime. It's why mm-hmm. you have ideas in the shower when you're going for a walk or a hike. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the brain? Like I I have written way too many sermons and, you know, like you have also written a book and you know how difficult that can be. Um, and I think we can all anecdotally say that sometimes our best ideas don't come when we're sitting down trying to cram writing into mm. that two hour block we've set aside. Right. Is there brain research behind how creativity happens and the conditions, the ecosystem you need? To have creative breakthrough ideas or insights that you're like, oh, man, I'm so glad that connected in my mind.
1: Yes, there's a lot of it. And what it basically boils down to is when you're willing to step away from a primary task, you return to it with different objectivity. The term that I love from a constellation of studies that we quoted in the book is beneficial forgetting. Ah, It's like this benevolent, beautiful amnesia of, I was going to do it this way. But I stepped away, and then I came back, and I just had this benefit of forgetting just enough the previous groove or orientation that I was in before, and now I have a fresh perspective. And what's also interesting is from a brain science perspective, if you took an MRI scan of your brain when you're doing what some people out there might be thinking of as... Nothing. When we talk about pausing or space, your brain is alight with uh, insight, memory, creativity, reflection. There's these are v- visible on an MRI when you're doing that. When there's the, when you're in the pause, the brain is very active. We just have to trust it, and it comes from a kind of permission. It's easier when you have camaraderie if you can talk to one or two or three people that you work with about it. It's very important. There was one more boundary-setting thing I just wanted to throw in, though, that I think is so critical because you you mentioned the congregants and their needs. Mm. Uh, Actually, I'll give you two because I Mm. think the pastors really need to hear these. First of all, I think pastors do not often enough have a properly designated emergency channel. Mm. That means one way— that everybody knows, you get them in a true emergency. Uh, True emergency, and we'll let people define that over time for themselves, but is it the cell phone ringing? Is it a certain different email address? Is it, you pick your channel, but to train everyone that you touch and that touches you in your work, that there is one channel, and it is the only one for true emergencies, for me, it's just dial the phone and let it ring, but I think that is really underutilized. The other thing that I think is under um, experienced by pastors is that a request from a congregant is not the same thing as an order. Mm. And there, it's just such a fascinating thing mm. to watch the loving nature of these pastors. Someone says to them, uh, "We should have a children's playroom in the lobby." We don't have that. And the minute that it's spoken, it's as if uh, you know, a lightning bolt from on high came down and said, You have to do that now or soon. And it isn't true. It's an idea, it's a suggestion. We say a lot in corporate, an invitation is not a subpoena. And this re- refers to the meeting <laughs> invites, but it's kind of the same thing. We have to be able to note an idea down and say, Okay, I heard that idea. And I'm not going to move any closer to action on that idea than I was before I heard it at this moment. And so I think that that's really worth really worth hitting as well.
0: Well, and I really appreciate what you said about having a dedicated emergency line or an emergency symptom. So, I mean, I started in a very small church and everybody, you know, it was the 90s. So we didn't really have cell phones. Rich people had cell phones, mm-hmm. right? But, um, you know, people would start calling my house as the church started to grow and that got annoying because parishioners don't always keep the same hours. And, mm-hmm. you know, you'd be having dinner with your kids and the phone would ring and it's like, oh, I better get it. And then eventually we had a church line installed, etc. But what one of the challenges, I think this is real, and this is true in corporate too, everybody defines emergency differently. So mm-hmm. think of a CEO, you do a lot of Fortune 500 companies, right? So a CEO right. uh, who, who is leading a, an organization with you know, 8,000 employees or 80,000 employees has a different definition of emergency than a startup entrepreneur with a team of two. Um, what, how do you train your people into what really is an emergency? Because I can imagine there's some pastors who thought, you know what, I'll set up an emergency line, Juliet, and here's what's going to happen. Someone's going <laughs> to call me at 11 that. o'clock at night and say, you know, yeah. we really ought to have a play center in the nursery, and that's right. their emergency like, how do you set up boundaries so that people respect that?
1: Yeah, there's a chapter in the book we call Hallucinated Urgency, which is about <laughs> the mirage all around us that time sensitivity has been flattened and that everything we touch is equally time sensitive. But if you discuss with your colleagues and maybe even with your congregants, I think it'd be a great sermon to talk about in reality, there are three ways that something can be urgent. It can be not time-sensitive, which is unbelievably important to actually articulate because we forget that it exists, that sometimes Mm. things don't have a time frame. Things can be tactically time-sensitive, and that means that the the speed that you choose is tied to a critical result, is tied to a business result, is tied to a safety result. That is called tactically time-sensitive. But then there's this catch-all third category we call emotionally time-sensitive. And this is that my channeled combo stew of anxiety, curiosity, need for control is masquerading as tactically time-sensitive. And so when you step back and you can start talking to even one buddy your assistant or um, someone who works in the church to say, is that a little, are you feeling a little emotionally pressed about the time here? Is that emotionally time sensitive or is it actually tactically time sensitive? It gives you language to begin to slowly separate. In my house, and if I'm I'm on a podcast right now, the kids are four doors away, an emergency is bleeding or on fire. Are you bleeding <laughs> or are you on fire? Which one are you on fire you to, to knock on this door? And, and that's lighthearted, but there has to be some definition. So just gently to coach people who break the urgency paradigm, which they will over and over and over to say, what will happen if we address this during business hours? What will happen if we address this first thing Monday? To, to force them to go, well, actually nothing. I'll just be uncomfortable till Monday. Then that's, then that's a price you have to pay.
0: Well, that is such good advice, and I want to underscore something you said that I think is really wise, because our church went from you know a very small church handful of people through the 200, 400, 600, 1,000 barrier and beyond. And mm. uh, you know, we often model ourselves after large church pastors, and you'll never hear Craig Rochelle or Mike Todd or you know, Christine Kane say, don't call my cell phone because they're way past that stage. But one of the things I did as our church got bigger was exactly what you said, Juliet. I'm glad you remembered it. Uh, At 200, pastoral care is the big barrier. And I had to tell people, and you can do it on a Sunday morning because you haven't got that many people in the room. It's like, guys, I'm not going to do your pastoral care anymore. It can't happen that way. And here's why. And I would explain it. And I would explain it in meetings that we would have midweek about what is next or congregational meetings. And generally speaking, the healthy people get it. And that mm-hmm. leaves, that means 80, 90% of your problem is solved. And then the 10% you can do with the, I love your anxiety test presenting itself as urgency. You can say, well, I'm available next Tuesday at three. So we can meet then. And however you phrased it, what is going to happen? You know, is there any reason will we can't? What will happen if we deal with it then? Because like then they have just,
1: to say it. They have to say uh nothing. Because if I'm calling my right. realtor and I'm closing on a house in a crazy housing market and I say what will happen before Monday, the answer is the house will sell and therefore there's a reason to call the realtor at 9 p.m. on a Saturday sometimes. Mm. You have to teach people to just do the simple math equation of what exactly will happen. Or not math equation, but thinking problem of What exactly will happen. And they have to also begin to treat you like a Porsche because you wouldn't buy a Porsche and then redline it and redline it and redline and expect it to perform. When you want your pastor to do heartfelt work, intellectual work, probing, future thinking, smart work that guides you in your life, you must allow that Porsche to be treated well, to have the right gas and the right Downtime and the right cooling time, and and we need all that as people too.
0: Well, and to your earlier point, you know the not very healthy episode or example of the pastor who just worked like crazy for the first few years, got a reputation for being busy. The congregation trained itself, and some somebody new comes along, and they're like, "Hey, you know, no, 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 you can't call pastor whoever because he's too busy; he won't have time for Mm -hmm. it. But what you can do is flip that." And train the congregation to say, "Oh, actually, that's not how we handle pastoral care here. Look to your small group. Look to the serving team that you're with. Those people will do a much better job, and you know, free up the pastor to do her preaching or his his homework or whatever." And so, it really does work. This is this is fantastic. So, and go I'll give ahead. you another tip. Yeah,
1: uh, we'll have to translate what I usually call it, but I usually call it "make an offering." We might have to use different language for this particular podcast, but "make an offering" means. My cell phone is available to you from noon to five, or my cell phone mm-hmm. is available to you from 11 to two. If you offer a specific time frame when you don't mind being randomly contacted, it tacitly eliminates all the other times. And it's reminiscent of a study that they did with nurses in hospitals where, when there were no time frames, people just pushed that emergency come to my room button whenever they feel like it. But when the nurses were expected, when they said, We're going to visit you at the top of every hour or the top of every other hour. People were able to restrain themselves. It wasn't that they were in less pain or less need or less thirsty, but they had an expectation. All I have to do is wait until 11, and then that's the time I'm supposed to press this button. So make an offering is state out loud a time that you are okay being contacted in the way that they are hungry to contact you. And then, wink, wink, you're eliminating all the other times.
0: Almost like in office hours. Like back at university, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, here are my office hours. You can come by anytime and discuss the mark you don't like or whatever. That's a great idea. So, one of the tensions I think most leaders have, particularly creative leaders, if you can use that term, is that you've got this tension between, yeah, I'm supposed to produce this amazing message and have these insights that lead the church forward. And you know, in a small church, the toilet needs to be cleaned, or I have these administrative things. And 38% of pastors say that this is an area they wish they had been better prepared for, balancing ministry versus administration. What advice Mm -hmm. do you have for leaders who are feeling that tension saying, I just get sucked down into emails and facility bookings and Administration, and I really don't have the time to prepare great messages and to do the work I feel I'm called to do.
1: Well, there's always the classic question of look at your entire calendar as a leader of everything and say, what are the things on this calendar that only I can do? Mm
0: -hmm. That
1: is, so if it's unplugging the toilet, that may not be your, you may not be the only one who can do that. Um, But aside from that lovely mantra of going over and over, we have to learn to be what we call reductive. And reductive is uh, that, that word has other meanings, but we're talking now about the mathematical sense of looking at the amount of communications, emails, reporting, projects, meetings that we have each and every week. And understanding that the insatiability of our culture is always going to seduce us into having more on that list that is is possible or logical, and we have to always be stripping away. So it's like a set of glasses that we put on, and the questions in the book called the simplification questions, which are sort of the core of our antidote to busyness, help you to do just that. I'll give you one of them, because they're a little thick. To go through all four just verbally is a little tough, but... The first question is just such a simple, beautiful summary of this concept. Is there anything I can let go of? Mm. So if you look at that calendar, it's just so interesting how the space calls to be filled. But when you look at each individual to-do or each individual task, there are myriad ways to let go. Now, small churches, not a lot of people to delegate to. I have empathy there. Let go can mean to postpone something. It can mean to cut it entirely, shrink it in scope, find a vendor, give it to a colleague, do it less often. If you have a a congregant report you do once a week, the question is, would once a month be good enough? If you do it once a month, the question is, would once a quarter be good enough? There are all sorts Mm. of ways to let go besides simply canceling an activity. And we want to develop just a flexing, easy muscle of that reductivity everywhere we look, because increase is never going to stop. Hmm.
0: Juliet, this has been so so helpful. Any finer wh- final word for busy leaders? And let me let me focus this question on you know how we started. You said we are moving into marathon territory, beyond that triathlon, Ironman, whatever. You know, <laughs> right, we right. are we are we are in crazy town in terms of just the endurance needed for the future. So if there is one thing leaders should never forget about staying fresh for the long haul, what would you say, man, among all things, do not miss this?
1: About four things are flooding in my mind. So I'm going to try to combine them a little bit. Um, You know this when you're editing a book, you know, when your editor makes you go back and find repeated words like, oh, Carrie, Uh you love the word spectacular. You use it too much. Let's, (laughs) let's call it something else. Um, we were editing the book and we found that the word permission was 31 times in an average length, in this average length manuscript. And I said, oh my God, let's get this thesaurus. Let's start cutting. Um, And the editor said, no, this word we leave because permission is what we all need. Before we get smart, we have to get self-loving about this. We have to just, if you sat on the edge of a bed And wept and ate Ben and Jerry's for two weeks in a row. It wouldn't be enough falling apart to equal what you've been through. And we haven't let ourselves fall apart even a little bit. So just gentleness and self-care and baby steps and remembering that burnout is not a hangover. You don't take a day off and then come back from it. Burnout is an aggregated drain of focus and mental capacity Due to work over a long period of time. And so that patience and that gentleness wrapped in permission is probably where I would leave us.
0: Oh, it's a great place to leave us. <laughs> the book is called A Minute to Think. It's available everywhere books are sold. I highly recommend it. I have read it myself and uh, really appreciate your contribution to the dialogue. If people want to connect with you uh, online, where are they going to find you these days?
1: Please do julietfunt.com. You'll see a, a rotating little scroll bar. You can get the first chapter for free. You can take all sorts of good quizzes. So we love to have you come and join in.
0: That's great. Well, thank you so much, Juliet. Thank you, leaders. Thank you for leading. Thank you for hanging in there. Uh, share this with your team. I know you got a lot of tired people on your team, even your elder board. You know, we try to bring you principles that work. Uh, inside all aspects of the church. And uh, we'll be back next time with a fresh episode. Make sure you check out Belay, who can help in a whole other way, a really helpful way. Uh, Maybe you can start delegating. A lot of us are not very good at it. And if you want to get good at it, download for free 25 tasks a pastor can delegate to an assistant. Text the word PULSE, P-U-L-S-E, to 55123. That's PULSE to 55123. Catch you next time on Church Pulse Weekly.
1: Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly
0: Podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption
1: and how to stay connected to the people in your church.